Hello, everybody, and welcome to HRM. I'm your host, Crystal, and this is where we empower, we educate our healthcare professionals with using evidence-informed practices with technology, but most importantly, bridging the gap between research and real-world application. Today, we're going to have a fiery discussion with regards to knowledge mobilization and knowledge translation with two experts in this subject content matter. We have Dr. Shakufa from University of Ottawa. Hello, hello. Hi. About her. Uh, She is a doctoral uh, postdoctoral fellow, a research fellow, sorry, and a postdoctoral student. And her focus is on health equity with our marginalized community members, in particular, our refugee community, our women and our children. And what she's looking for is to increase equity for accessing health care. And then we have our PhD candidate, Miss Liqua from University of Ottawa. Hello, hello. And her area of expertise is uh, helping our marginalized community members, especially in our mental health sector. And she is focusing on improving uh, access to healthcare services, uh, improving practices, and improving patient care outcomes to our mental health community members and our marginalized community members. So welcome to both of you. I am so excited that you're able to do this podcast today with me. And I just want to say thank you. So welcome to you both. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. That was amazing. And <laughs> we are so happy to be here and it's such great honor. Oh, it's an honor as well. Uh, You know, before doing this uh, podcast uh, today, uh, we've had some discussion with regards to knowledge mobilization and knowledge translation. And then this, you know, was birthed out of it. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. So I'm going to pose a couple questions to you. And I'm really excited to hear your feedback. I know our community, uh, nursing community, our healthcare community, Uh, is also excited to hear what you have to say in this subject content matter. So the first question I'm going to ask, and Liko, I'm going to ask you first, because uh, this was uh, out of the conversation we had, and I learned a lot from you with regards to understanding knowledge. So would you take some time just to, you know, explain what is knowledge and who decides what knowledge is? And Shakufa, please jump in. Sure. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal. Thank you uh, for inviting us to this exciting uh, episode. And uh, thank you for the introduction. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yes. Uh, so when you've told me that you're going to do this podcast on knowledge translation, I, I thought, you know what, I want to talk to Crystal just to make sure, you know, what I am going to be talking about is, you know, fits her vision. Uh, because uh, usually when we talk about knowledge translation, there are two parts to it. So there is the knowledge part that knowledge creation, and there is the translation part. Um, When I started my master's back in 2013, that's exactly what I wanted to do. There was a gap uh, in my practice in relation to weight management in people who have psychotic disorders. And, um, you know, I wanted to look at this knowledge that needs to be translated into practice because as a nurse, I was uh, struggling with this and we didn't have any guidelines. We didn't have any protocols as to how to support our uh, our patients. Um, So when I started grad school, I started to look for that knowledge and 
uh, the first thing I did, I, I was using the KTA model. Uh, so you look at the literature, systematic reviews, you look at guidelines, national, international guidelines, you try to, um, you know, um, that knowledge piece, put it together first, that knowledge piece. But um, going through the process, I found that, okay, this is the knowledge. So uh, for weight management, it was diet, exercise, and education. But being a mental health nurse, I noticed that, you know, this cannot be the answer. There's something missing. Yeah. What about, you know, and, and then I, and then it just fell apart. The, my whole plan fell apart <laughs> because, that, <laughs> because that knowledge was, Yes, it, it said that it was, you know, effective and, you know, the best non-pharmacological approaches to weight management, diet, exercise and education. But something was truly missing. I even had the OK to just go ahead and translate into, you know, this knowledge into action. But I I thought, no, who decides what knowledge is and who knows what needs to be decided Right. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's the, the 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 biggest part when it comes to knowledge. Yeah, who knows what needs to be decided and who knows what knowledge is. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. I would That's like to good. jump in here and build on what Liko said. This is actually was so interesting as we had pretty much a similar uh, experience with translation. The knowledge we wanted to translate at that point. So I started with my whole uh, my PhD with that scenario in my mind that there's something missing in the practice and I have to translate. I mean, per se, for my expertise was that at that point was pain management research for infants and uh, toddler. So I've been going around in different conferences, networks, and everyone was telling us that it takes 17 years for evidence and knowledge to actually be translated into practice. Wow. And if you want to see that in the practice, and that was such a like a striking point in my life. It was like, if it takes 17 years, this is something I need to be focused on. This is something I need to uh, be doing for the, my PhD. Then, I mean, I spent whole my PhD on that. And I said, okay, we know, for example, for my uh, studies was that we know that breastfeeding, uh, a little bit of sugar water and holding your baby securely upright, reduce the baby's pain during the any needle related procedure. So I, I was like, okay, this is the knowledge. We know that it's, it has been established and it's in all the clinical uh, guidelines. Everywhere, everywhere in the hospital you go, you, you see that all, all over the places. And, uh, but still in the practice, when it comes to the uh, needle uh, procedure, we don't see anybody use that. We don't see nurses uh, advocate for that. For that, we don't see wow. much informant parents or informant nurses to just uh, take that um, take that time to uh, actually use this evidence. So, I I I mean, with, with the team we were we were working, uh, we actually. Um, produce a couple of videos to show the parents and nurses how to use this evidence and how mm. demonstrate how to this is the evidence in the like user um friendly language so but when it comes i mean you you said in my uh, in bio that um introduction when it when it when it came to the some sort of particular population then it was not the case anymore. So the, the video, the uh, knowledge uh, product that we produce, 
So it was a, a beautiful uh, white woman breastfeeding the child, and there was a lot of skin, skin exposure. So at that point, I, it didn't even came to my mind that this knowledge might not fit for everyone. And it might be, I mean, I, I, there, there was so much like uh, evidence behind it. I was like, everyone should use it. But then I took that video and took that evidence to my population, which were refugees uh, population with their very um, religious backgrounds. And also back home, I'm coming from a religious country, back home in Iran. I tried to disseminate that knowledge there. But no one's wanted to even look at that, that knowledge. And then it was that point in my life whose knowledge we are actually disse- disseminating. Yes, yes. Where are the voice of the people in that knowledge production phase? So that was that was interesting um, turning point in my career and actually made me to do a postdoc to bring that voice of who is deciding, as Liko said, who is deciding which knowledge we are producing and who is deciding which voice we are including. So I will just leave it for now to that point. Very interesting because, yeah, Shukufa and I have had conversations about this and it's very interesting because exactly who um, knows what needs to be decided and and exactly. i know that they are trying to do like integrated knowledge translation yes. now where uh you know you include the voices of the knowledge users mm-hmm. so with that knowledge uh you know translation piece with the knowledge production piece i mean um you include those perspectives but um Again, it's it's much more complicated than that. And sometimes we, yeah, it's complicated <laughs> at the knowledge production. And then there is, there's another story when it comes to the translation part. What gets translated is, you know, then is it the, the evidence that gets translated and that evidence is for, for you know, is it for um, more quality of care for patients? Is it, to help nurses do a better job? Is it serving the system or is it serving uh, the care recipients? Yes. So that that part is very political when it comes to the knowledge translation, but the knowledge production piece is also very, very complicated. Yeah, I think Shakufa, you hit that nail on the head because when you were saying that you, you know did this video production with this beautiful white woman with skin exposure and nursing, Right off the bat, I said, well, that eliminates a significant amount (laughs) of the community that we're serving because, you know, they're coming of different belief systems and walk of life. And what you're showing doesn't resonate with them. I love that there's that technology piece and you created this beautiful video. But that, Mm -hmm. you know, comes to the next question and the next thought, right? To, 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 you know, what framework is guiding this knowledge translation or knowledge mobilization piece. And, uh, you know, you both of you have educated me quite significantly with regards to this, you know, post positive framework, Um, not to be intimidated out there to my listeners. um, I think this is a great teaching moment um, for all of us because I learned a lot. And maybe I know, Liko, I think that's what you were kind of, you know, gearing in towards. And, you know, Shakufa, I would love to hear your thoughts on that and, and educate the listener on what that means, this post-positive framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So when you go through um, a nursing school, um, and some people call it 
educationalism, where you are educated, you are provided, you are fed um, certain, you know, types of knowledge. And we know now the dominant uh, um, piece is the best uh, evidence-based nursing. So when we talk about that, you see that there is a lot of, you know, use of biomedical model, the practical part of nursing, where the instrumentalization of, uh, um, of nursing, that it's th the more medical knowledge you have, the more effective nurse you are. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a lot of focus on that. And with that comes, when we talk about this post-positivist paradigm, we are talking about a reductionist uh, paradigm to knowledge, where you have a hypothesis and then, you know, then then through that hypothesis, you try to look at the cause and effect, um, uh, you know, association. And, and so it's a, it's a very reductionist approach. Um, and that's how knowledge is usually produced. I and mean, even when we talk about, you know, the biomedical model of care, we are talking about the, you know, the disease model where, again, you are very, very reductionist um, approach uh, uh, to wellness and illness and all of that. So we see that um, when we go through nursing school, we are taught that the more medical knowledge you have, um, you know, that the doing part is very important. The evidence-based practice protocols, you're providing best care if you are following those. So <clears throat> some people even, you know, you can call it colonization of your consciousness where you don't question things and you want to assimilate to the norm. The, the, the norm, the system wants, wants to assimilate you and wants you to believe that this is the best, you know, this is the best practice. This is the best knowledge. And, and um, so when you graduate and when you enter the system, you are ready to function. And we know that nursing is more than that. Yes, it is. Yes. It's more than just doing and following, uh, you know, protocols and guidelines and uh, what's called best evidence. And, and with that, even, you know, there are um, repercussions to that because, uh, because if you, are, if you stop using your, intuitions and your clinical judgment and you just follow critical follow the um, guidelines um, you start to depersonalize uh, patients you know yes. you see them as objects um, mm. you don't hear them you don't listen to their values and needs you know you try to you start to uh, filter those things because you're providing them with the best uh, possible care so even yes. if they tell you not so um uh, so we just, um, again, we lose um, that reflexivity and we just need that back. We really need to be, um, you know, reflect on our uh, biases, on our values, on our educational system, on so many things. But I'm just going to give some space to Shukufa to reflect, uh, to reflect yeah. on that. <laughs> no problem i mean luca you explained that such beautiful way i there's no way i can add more to that i mean i like it that you said it's the best possible way we are we are offering to them but without looking into that who's best is that if the people <laughs> exactly who's best <laughs> yeah <laughs> If the people, I mean, I, re, I remember I was a reviewer. Um, I've, I've been asked to review a paper, which was a huge paper in, in the field I was working. Everyone on the team 
were mainstream people and they were producing the knowledge for mainstream people. And I was like, at this point of my career, I refuse to review this kind of paper. This is flawed. This is, there's something missing. Not even one person in your team, in your research participant, were from the marginalized, were from people who actually voice not included. So that's that's flawed research knowledge translation. So, I mean, I mean, uh, I've been, uh, I went off topic, but in terms no, of- No, no, not off topic. <laughs> not off topic at all. I think that's very relevant. Yeah. And that speaks to the, the barriers. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, speaking of um, post-positivism, uh, I, I, I'm coming from a background that uh, the knowledge, I mean, I've been exposed to was only in forms of data. It was only in forms of uh, you have a survey, you have to produce that, you have to check check the boxes. If you cannot do that, your knowledge is not reliable knowledge. Mm. So we don't know this knowledge is even considered academic knowledge if it doesn't fit into these boxes, if it doesn't check these boxes. Mm-hmm. So it grew up with that knowledge, not even in, in, in the school, the whole society, in the uh, whole family situation back home for mm-hmm. me was that you have to yeah. check boxes. Mm-hmm. And then came to Canada in 2015. And again, I put myself, myself, I put myself into similar situation and environment that because post-positivism was the only way I, I could um, resonate with. And I did hold my PhD in the post-positivism paradigm. But as I said, I I, I, I faced that uh, flaw that this, this there's something missing and this paradigm is not going to actually answer the question I wanted to answer. It's actually... I'm actually contributing more to that systematic uh, discrimination with, with mm. this paradigm. So That's, that yeah. was, yeah, that was something actually morally was uh, bothering me and distressing me. So that's how I, I, I thought, uh, okay, now it's a time. I mean, everyone is the two, it was 2020 and that whole um, uh, situation with the BLM movement actually helped me mm. also understood a little bit what I wanted to do. So that's why I switched and uh, did more research into critiquing what we are doing in the research. That's powerful. That is so powerful, Shakufa, that, you know, you went against that status quo and said, you know what, I'm not going to contribute to a system that is just giving itself self-praise and not supporting or helping those that they say they created the system for in the first place. And I find that to be such an interesting thing because that's something I think all of us as frontline workers uh, talk about that a system has been created to support those that are marginalized, but those that they created it for can't access it, don't know that it exists, or it's not even useful to them in the first place. So this is why I believe your research, both of you, it is critical in a season where we really do need it. So, you know, on, on, on that note, you know, you said so many things that are so fruitful and, you know, I'm reflecting as both of you are talking. So my question then is how do we bridge these gaps? What are the barriers? I know that's two different questions. So we'll ask that one first. I just have so many, but how do we bridge these gaps? Yes. Um, 
The process that Shukufa, I just want to go back to the, you know, what Shukufa said and the process that she went through. I went through this process at the very beginning of, you know, my PhD when I found that knowledge piece and it, I wasn't convinced by it. And then I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the literature and look at qualitative studies that look at patients' perspectives, because if I'm going to make this intervention for them, I better see what they think about it. Yes. I'm just going to go and see what's out there and, and see what the gaps are. And then we go from there. Um, so going back to the literature, and I was looking at physical health of people who have um, psychotic disorders, and I found very little uh, mm. literature. And I, you know, exploring their perspectives about their physical health, which then to me was um, such a breakthrough because um, because now I I did not want to contribute to that. I I mean I didn't want to do another qualitative study mm -hmm. to say you know there is a gap here. I'm going to do a qualitative study, go and look at patients' perspectives, um, and then. Tada, you know, I'm addressing the gap that is in the literature. I started to question why this gap is there. Why? Um, the World Health Organization is saying since 2005 that physical health of people with psychotic disorders is an, uh, you know, is a need that needs urgent action. Mm. And we have all these, you know, interventions and, um, uh, I mean, the, um, you know, uh, quasi-experimental and RCTs out there looking at the physical health like with interventions and stuff. And nobody, we don't have enough qualitative literature looking at the perspectives of the uh, care recipients. So my question was why now? <laughs> Which then, yes, my question was why? Why is, why is this happening? And uh, it was a very difficult journey, Crystal, because... Yes. Um, because now I had to look at the psychiatric system and the practices and look at the history of psychiatry. And, and the more I looked, the more confused I got. And, and um, I was also looking for like a, you know, a methodology to help me bring their voices forward. But what do I do? Anyways, just going back to this knowledge translation piece, things can be much more complicated that, than what we think. Right, that that knowledge creation can be very very complex because just like Shukufa said, in psychiatry it happened to be that you know we have people who know better mm. as experts as nurses and researchers and psychiatrists they know what's good for yeah. for these people right because yeah. because they are deemed not credible. Um, yes. They don't know what's best for them. So we know what's best for them. In another situation, it can be that, you know, um, people who are, you know, the mainstream are the ones who are deciding for everyone because yes. they come with their values and their biases and, and their perspectives. And they bring that, um, you know, forward and they make an intervention. And, and then you think that this is the best um, evidence. So, yeah. uh, again, going back to that reflexive uh, piece that we need to be, we need to teach all healthcare providers to reflect 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 do not take things for granted yeah. you know just because you are told that this is the it it doesn't mean that we don't need some uh, you know 
direction as students, we know we have been in this situation and we sometimes need, you know, we cannot think critically. We have no idea what we are doing at the clinical setting. We need some direction. But when it comes to best evidence practice, taking that for granted and believing that this is the only way and the best way to do to provide care, then it's very problematic because again, that dehumanizing patients, not de-recognizing them um, comes with that because the evidence or the, the, again, that knowledge translation piece, you have to be very careful when we live in a capitalist world, right? Yes. So what is implemented and what is translated needs to serve the system. It needs to be efficient, effective, and efficiency is very important and 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 cost you know yes it needs to be cost effective um so it is that is the consideration so for something to be implemented it needs to meet these criteria that cost is very very important mm. so when we when you think like that when you think about you know cost effective and and sustainability, to sustain the healthcare system, um, then who is paying the price? You know, again, you need to reflect on the type of knowledge that is being translated and who this knowledge, is it serving the care recipients or is it serving the, the system itself? Yes. <laughs> In the name of serving the care recipients. Yes, yes, we are trying to provide, you know, best evidence here, but it's, but at the end, they come and they check and see, you know, what, what are the spending? What's the budget? They all talk about, you know, dollars. And we don't see nurses sitting around those tables, no. which is very, very problematic. Uh, we see, uh, you know, politicians um, and um, sometimes, you know, physicians. We don't see nurses because nurses think that, well, I need to serve the patients. It's not my job. I'm not uh, political, you know, that's not what I, you know, I, I wasn't trained to do this. And it's true. And it is true. We don't have many, you know, um, leadership courses uh, when we are going through our undergrad. I did not take any leadership courses or anything like that. So um, we don't know how to, you know, what to do with that. And we always leave it to others to, you know, let them decide what they want to do. For me, I want to care for patients, but this is a wrong mentality. It's wrong mm -hmm. because it's hurting our practice and it's hurting our patients because what they are going to decide is for to sustain the system, a yes. capitalist system. Yes. So uh, they are not thinking about you or what you want or what you need for your practice. So yeah. we want nurses that are, you know, politically active. Um, yeah. And we're asking about what we need to do. We need more uh, leadership courses. We need nurses to be more politically active. We need yeah. nurses to be more reflexive um, and reflect on their practices. Yes. Wow. Shakufa, go right ahead. Oh my God. Yeah, that was amazing, Liko. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, such a like profound thing you said about the cost effectiveness. We are living in a system, in a society uh, that cost effectiveness comes over, I mean, on top of everything. And that's actually 
that's how the discrimination starts from there. So from yes. there, we are deleting, we are eliminating the voice of the uh, people, patients, community, marginalized, or or uh, any like patients with any, as you said, psychotic disorder. So I mean, that how how was my question? That actually, that how was the reason I did the postdoc? Because I knew that I, I could see the problem there. I could see the barriers, and it was all over the all over the place. They were talking about the barriers, but yes. how was something I wanted to pursue too to see how we can just actually start from somewhere. Mm. So that was uh, that was something. Uh, I mean. When I when I started this uh, um, journey two years ago, I thought, okay, maybe community-based uh, participatory research will be the way that actually yeah. I can bring that voice into the process of um, knowledge production, knowledge creation, and then dissemination. So, I mean, I'm now it's more still in the process, uh, uh, in the progress. And um, but inclusion that community voice and inclusion that community members from this first uh, beginning of the um, study or any research project was something that I uh, I uh, took uh, into consideration in my postdoc. So I included the the community members from the beginning in all the stages of their, my research. And if I was going to do a research with the marginalized population, I would make sure there are at least five or three, three to five members of those community in the research uh, team and also a partner from the community as a, like a partner organization or a support uh, organization with me on uh, working side by side with me. It is yeah. not the way we don't, we don't, we, we can't, we can't make sure what we are producing is, uh, is actually what, what is not what we wanted yeah. to see. So, yeah. so that's, that's actually helped me working with refugee population. So I'm coming from that background myself. I've been the lived experiences and I'll actually brought um, some uh, other members and the community members, community organization with that lived experiences to actually review all the process, overview all the stages of my research. Yes. So in that way, they actually helped me to make sure the research is more responsive to the needs of these people, to responsive yes. to what they wanted to see, not what academic researchers or policymakers or uh, whoever that we are profiting uh, wanted us to get out of research. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the knowledge translation, in the grants writing, you will see a lot that uh, most of these institutions ask you for a scale-up process or mm -hmm. they want you to describe that end of grant KT activities. So mm -hmm. that is that is so sad because because that's that's the whole point. That's the whole point, and that's a, that's the area that that at that point they wanted the participant and they wanted the patients or uh, voice of marginalists to comes in at the end of the procedure. And that's the flaw. That's the barriers. That's that's what we, we don't want it in a community research base. So we want the question that everything raised from the uh, mind of the patients from the voice of uh, participants. So I think we are, uh, it's a still uh, um, procedures on the uh, progress. We're still working on it uh, even gradually, but uh, it's going uh, it's, it's going to be better than before. Like we are, words, I, I mean, I'm really hopeful about that, that world is going to a uh, better place, I think. 
uh, um, since the, I mean from the last two years uh, before. So and I see uh, I can see that people are are um, uh, putting that on the agenda and everywhere. But also there is that um, there is that uh, question. There is that uh, concern uh, in our mind that. Yes, all the research now are talking about patient engagement, are talking about um, marginalized population, but how we can make sure we are not tokenizing this population, how yes. we make sure this is not just um, a demonstrative um, activism or humanitarianism uh, kind of act. It's yeah. not something uh, we are doing to just get the grant to just uh, say, okay, this is the trend. Uh, everyone is doing it. I'm, I'm going to do that too. Uh, to make sure that's not going to happen now is the, my, my concern that if I am including this community, if I am trying to bring the lived experiences, I have to make sure it's going to stay there forever. It's not just for tokenism of my research um, and then everything will be lost after that. I say you're passionate. So I don't see I don't see that happening. And I just I just want to reiterate, especially to our listeners, because you both said so much that uh, my heart is full because everything you say is so actual and it's factual. Uh, You know, the the fact that, you know, the the, the barriers is, is, is it's political full stop. Right. It's the capitalism. It's the political, you know, uh, it's, you know, cost, 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 cost at the cost of the recipient receiving the care. Like it doesn't get any more profound than that. But here we are in a system that says, hey, we're all about the community. I also believe that it's uh, critical. And I love that you said, you know, we need more leadership courses for our nurses. We need we need to be at the political table when these decisions are being made because we are the first point of contact with these community members and yet still we're not there and our voices are not being heard. That needs to change. There needs to be a paradigm shift. And I believe that your research, both of you, will help with that paradigm um, to to shift. And I think the final thing that really, really resonate with me, especially Shukufa, is the fact that you're saying, you know what, let this not be tokenism. Like, let's not utilize our marginalized communities and say, hey, I'm on the bandwagon. So, you know, we're going to do this. But then nothing comes out of it. It just sits on a shelf, you know, collecting dust or sitting somewhere in cyberspace. Like, that is critical. And the fact that you know our research community, and I'm not, and I say that very literally and figuratively, you know, that that's their intention. Let's just do it as a, because it's it's the trending thing right now, and not with the intention to you know actually, you know, put it in 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 the works. Like these are some major barriers worthwhile to have a podcast part two because there's there's so much to unpack in this conversation. You're just just skimming the surface, so. My final question is to both of you, you know, based on all that has been said, what would what would be the advice you'd give to up and coming researchers, those considering, um, you know, graduate studies, those that may, you know, want to embark on this journey to help continue bridge this gap between that knowledge mobilization or that knowledge translation piece? Big question. (laughs) Yes. So when we think about, you know, implication to nursing, 
we are talking about implication to education, to practice, policy, and research. What does it mean for researchers? What does it mean for those who are practitioners? What does it mean for policy? So we need to kind of talk about each one separately, but I'm, I'm not, I can't get into details. But let's say, for example, for research, we talked about this, right? Because this is something that we did in our research and we wanted to include those who are marginalized from the very get-go. That's what Shukufa is trying to do for me. Um, that's exactly what I did. I used digital storytelling, um, which is like a video clip of three to five minutes where they express their needs and concerns and themselves in a small video. And I brought that forward to uh, nurses and healthcare leaders to reflect on it. So for me, it was very important for knowledge um, to, to be created and to start that creation from the perspective of the most marginalized. Um, so when we talk about research, yes, this is the implication uh, to be inclusive, again, to be very, very, um, uh, you know, reflexive and reflect, 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 because, because when you get to graduate um, school, you already have so many values and biases and and you bring all of those things with you to grad school grad school is a great place for you to reflect because it's a very safe space so you start to think about your practices and what you want to do in research and you have people who will challenge you um, and um, that's why for us we thought you know if I do an intervention then that's exactly what I want to do I want to bridge the gap between knowledge and practice because that's what we are told, you know, through evidence-based practice, from uh, through protocols, from all, through all of those things, that's what, that's the best thing I can do, you know? So when I started, I brought that mentality with me. Post-positive paradigm is the best paradigm because we are talking about validity, reliability. We are talking about something that is, you know, the best thing. And then they challenge you there because you go through courses and classes where, you know, you have great, great people that will start to challenge some of those uh, Amazing. Um, th yes, thinking. So that's the implication for, uh, for research. When it comes to education, just like I said, educationalism is what we go through. So again, we need to deconstruct some of the uh, values and um, some of the perspectives and the evidence-based nursing and make sure that when nurses graduate and then they have a better understanding about what best care is because it needs to be built based on patients' values and needs. You need to notice the care recipients first, not the protocols and guidelines and what you think is the best knowledge and always doubt yourself as the best knower because they are the experts, right? Yeah. So that's the practice part. When, we, when it comes to policies, again, we need knowledge to be created uh, based on the perspectives of the care recipients, which needs to be, again, very inclusive. Um, it needs to, um, that, that one is very difficult because again, we live in a capitalist world. And um, again, um, there needs to be a lot of 
disrupting the system. I'm not going to go there because this, the whole system needs to be disrupted. Um, <laughs> Another <everyone>, podcast. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> because we can't build on a system that is not built right. Yeah. Okay, sometimes we need to disrupt this. So that's the, the policy um, part. What else is left? Um, practice, policy, and research. Yeah. So um, for nurses to be very, very reflexive, all healthcare providers need to question their values, question the status quo, question everything. And sometimes it's very difficult to do that when you are working in a system that is putting a lot of pressure on you to perform in a certain way. And I know somebody who lost their job because they questioned Mm. you know then you are going against the best practice so you are terrible right you are Mm. not doing you're not doing your best and then and then that can be a very unsafe spot that's why I say we need to start from the peripheral public society and then you come to the non-governmental organization uh universities um uh you know organizations like social organizations and the very last thing then you get into the (laughs) you know the institutions and so you you usually it's better to start from the periphery and then move to the center um so any activities like if you have uh, just like what you are doing right now this Mm -hmm. is great because you know facebook social media is a way to start to start to question some of these things, to disrupt yes. some of the beliefs and values. And then uh, it's it's not an easy job, but it's doable. So well, yeah, you're so starting it. Your research <laughs> is starting it. <laughs> what about and you? by doing this podcast, Crystal, you are also doing something. Because oh, even if we can touch one person through what we said today, then we did our job. Yes, we have. That's for sure. Oh, that was amazing, Nicole. I cannot impress. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough uh, the importance importance of um, being a politically informed health professionals. As most of health professionals, I say we are we are living. Uh, we are ha- having that very highly regulated profession, and it's not that easy. To, I mean, it's easier always to be said. Uh, to be politically informed and to be politically yeah. activate, active. But uh, we have to really focus on that in terms of uh, how to get that knowledge, uh, that skills to the health professionals and starting from the curriculum development or uh, somewhere in the school. I mean, I uh, for all graduate students who are at the beginning of this journey, I would say uh, maybe your degree or education uh, is um, the focus in your um, graduate school. However, uh, that mentoring style, that advisor, that environment you choose to flourish, you choose to cultivate your research in and the team you decide uh, to work with, actually that determine your happiness and success yes. in your graduate school and how that's determined how to be a critical thinker to question the knowledge to question the process and the yes. products so i think uh be mindful about that and you guys i think you're doing great thank you and thank you so much that is a this was an amazing conversation <laughs> i think we need to do a part two there's so much i think we just literally Skin to the surface, like there's so much to unpack. Uh, what a fruitful discussion. But 
we gotta go. Uh, that being said, if you are a researcher or up and coming researcher, and you would love to be interviewed on these podcast series, please, please reach out to us at info at health research matters. And that's with an S.com. And that's info at health research matters.com. And we look forward to hearing from you until our next podcast. So thank you again to Shakufa and Likwa for coming and uh, to our viewers. Uh, and listeners out there, until we speak again.